Are you an entrepreneur or looking to become one? Looking to stay motivated, find happiness and true success? You're in the right place. Welcome to Empower Humans. Welcome again to the Empower Humans podcast. This is episode eight, and I'm so excited about this interview with Fred Dinkins. He has been on Good Morning America, HBO. He's Grammy nominated. Uh, musical director for Denise Williams currently has worked with The Emotions and tons of others. He's not a big name dropper, so he's not going to get into tons of that stuff with us. But he, I'd add he's also an author, a motivator, and a very, very respected instructor. Um, I mean, he's a major, major talent with some great stories. And uh, he's primarily focused on drums and percussion in the music industry. But for a guy like this to be musical director with a gal like Denise Williams, she's the one who did Let's Hear It For The Boy and a bunch of other awesome songs. Love and respect Denise Williams. Some of what his story is, is he's attracted a ton of great musical idols into his life and has been persistent. He'll talk a lot about struggles and not giving up in this interview. He's close with so many big names in music. He helped Sinbad, for example. He's not in music necessarily, but he is now, thanks to Fred, the comedian Sinbad. He helped him learn to play the drums. Um, we didn't even get into some of this stuff during the interview. We might have to do a sequel down the road. And uh, anyway, one thing I'll quickly add is we had a fan going in his studio where we recorded this. Uh, so you might hear some of that. But uh, other than that, I think it's still very palatable and excellent, excellent content material and great stories. I love hearing about people's climb in the world. And Fred's still climbing. He never gets uh, complacent. And talking about practicing galore, he's one of the, probably the top world-renowned drummers in the world, too. And very perseverant man, started at the bottom, rose up with his own determination and work ethic. Anyway, please enjoy this two-part interview with the one and only Fred Dinkins. Okay, we're here with Fred Dinkins, the one and only Fred Dinkins. Extraordinaire, the legend, the man, the myth, the legend. And, uh, boy, Fred... I know for a fact you've touched a ton of lives, especially with music. I mean, you have, uh, in all kinds of ways, through music, through educating, I think you've inspired a ton of people and all the listeners. I mean, I, I sat here with Fred before we got started listening to some stuff on his uh, uh, system. He's got a whole studio here set up, and I'm just impressed as heck. I've always been impressed. I've known Fred a little while now, and uh, your work ethic... He's talking about practicing. I mean, Fred is among, he's a humble guy, but he's among the top, top notch guys in the industry, but he's talking, he's still practicing. I think this says a lot about some of the things we're going to get into today, but Fred is all about continually progressing. He doesn't get, you don't get a plateau and then get comfortable, do you? No, you can't. No, no. And if you, I mean, how long you've been, let's, let's go back to the beginning. Fred is a musical director now with Denise Williams. He's worked with the emotions. He's worked with all kinds of people in the industry and uh, educating and all kinds of stuff, travel the world. But let's go back to the beginning. Where'd you grow up, Fred? Where were you born? Uh, St. Louis, Missouri. Okay. Okay. The Midwest. So big city though. Yeah. Not compared to LA though. No, <laughs> not compared to LA, no. especially these days. I mean, LA's grown a ton and traffic, uh, traffic can't be beat. <laughs> in terms of the volume of traffic. So St. Louis and you got a bunch of siblings or is it just you? No, I'm the I'm the baby of 11. 
11. Yeah. 11? Yeah. Okay, see, this I'm learning. This is no pre interview. I'm learning stuff as we go along with our listeners. Baby of 11. Yeah. Okay. That's incredible. <laughs> that alone, that's a good start. So I'm the baby too, but I'm just three boys. So we talk about baby of 11. So what was that like being the baby? Oh, man. I mean, I just remember, you know, being like that special person because, you know, <laughs> my mom had me late. Yeah. You know, and most of uh, my siblings were older than me. And uh, I just remember always being um, in trouble for, you know, playing on stuff like beating on pots and, <laughs> so you know. You had this this knack at an early age, this uh, whole drive with hitting things. Yeah. <laughs> in a good way. You weren't, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you weren't trying to beat kids up. You were just no, hitting no, pots just, and pans and yeah, stuff. Yeah, just dragging the pots and stuff out of the, out of the pantry and, yeah. you know, being a kid, leaving them in the floor. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's interesting. You see kids grow up and they have different things that they're just automatically drawn to i mean some kids with sports you know it wasn't like a guy like lebron james grew up you know making clothes or <laughs> doing doing music necessarily yeah. he had this athletic drive and so yeah. you are always beating things making music making maybe noise mo yeah. mostly in those days just noise yeah and uh so when did you get your first drum kit Man, my brother was in the Marines, I, I can remember, and, I, you know, for Christmas, he bought me this uh, really cheap drum set. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, from either JCPenney's or Sears, and I tore it up, like, within, a, like, an hour. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that, and I cried. I cried like a baby. So you were... You weren't nice to those drums. Plus, they weren't made for a guy like Fred. No, no, no. I was like Bam Bam or the Flintstones. <laughs> well, if you're used to beating pots and pans, I mean, yeah. a normal drum kit's not as sturdy. <laughs> so, so after that, I just I made do, man. I made, uh, you know, trash can tops. You know, like my symbols. I would take, uh, uh, you know, whatever I can make a a drum out of. So I used to sit in my backyard, and there was a guy down the street from me that played drums. He used to practice on his porch in the back, and oh. I, th I thought he was San uh, Sammy Davis Jr. <laughs> and I used to just watch him, man, and, like, take my dad's trash cans and, like, you know, the aluminum trash cans. Yeah, yeah. I used to hammer the, the, the handle down so it's flat uh -huh. <laughs> and try to hang it on something. Oh. And so that was my symbol. So I would try to practice with this guy. So... Um, I don't know, man. I was about nine or ten, eleven, somewhere in there. And uh, my brother closest to me, you know, we would just take go to the Cardinals game all the time. So one day we were on the bus, yeah, and I passed a pawn shop, uh huh, and there was this drum set in the window, uh huh. And I pleaded with him, like, stop, can you, can we go in there and look at this drum set? <laughs> I don't know how much, I can't tell you how much it costs, but man, the guy let me put a dollar down. Oh. And every time we go to the game or I get 50 cent, my brother would take me to put that money on this drum set. And one day I paid it off. Gosh. And I brought the drums home. <laughs> um, and that was it, man. Then, you know, I just started playing and I took a lesson 
for the guy this guy to show me independence between like the bass drum and snare drum and hi-hat mm-hmm I think I took like one or two lessons and then that was it yeah yeah and some of our listeners aren't gonna be drummers so we'll talk a lot about drums okay because that's been like the backbone of your career right and truthfully drums are the backbone of the music for being honest so yeah, yeah. everyone listens to music so if you listen to music you got to respect the drummer right. that's why we're talking to fred right and when you play drums there is a thing in any instrument there's a thing about independence when you're playing guitar there's things with your right hand your left hand you got to get all these things down hit right. the strings right tune in the string and the same thing with with piano or anything so you got moving you had you had a merciful guy in a pawn shop give you an opportunity yeah and you uh i guess that probably gave you some motivation like, okay he let me put a dollar oh yeah and then you started you know putting together some money to where you could actually uh, get to where you could have those drums in your yeah. possession yeah my mom would always slip me like some money <laughs> my dad didn't know it oh she man slipped me five dollars and it's like okay let's go <laughs> let's go. My brother, my brother, his name was Curry, and I was like, Curry, let's go. I got five dollars. Like, oh man, okay. All right. And we would go put that money on that drum set, man. And wow. But there's nothing like struggling, right? It's not no, like you. No. It sounds like you were eleven kids. You were born into some riches. No, we weren't. I mean, <laughs> by no means. We. I mean, my dad would never let us see what poverty really was. Cause uh -huh. he, he, like, he, he worked like two jobs and wow. uh, I never really saw it but my sister saw it I mean I you gotta look at it like my brother and I had to sleep in the same bed yeah because that's that's how it was it was no big deal yeah you know yeah. and um, you know so it was it was just like growing up in a way where we didn't miss meals but we we didn't have luxury meals you know back there we had uh White Castle hamburgers, <laughs> you know, which was probably then like uh, twelve cent a hamburger. Wow! And uh, we're not dating you too much. To get no, these no, numbers. but 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 no, but I mean they still cheap. You yeah. go to you go to Detroit, St. Louis. Uh, man, White Castle is like a dollar. Yeah, we call them wow. bomb burgers or gas burgers because you know we don't know what they were made out of, but but you, you loved it. But you 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 got a full meal if you ate about twelve of them, and, <laughs> and you pay the cost. <laughs> you pay in the next morning. Yeah, all uh, that all that night. <laughs> you know, whoever else is in the room with you. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, we're sponsored by White Castle. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So, the, but that was your luxury meal going to White Castle. Yeah. But you, as far as poverty. Your parents worked hard to make sure, at least in your case, being the youngest and that you were sheltered from to a certain extent, to an extent, I but mean, you had to fight for, to, to rise in the world. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, because like I had a friend that marched uh, in the D.C. drum corps right. uh, championships all the time. Uh huh. I auditioned for the marching band at my high school, at my grade school. Mm -hmm. uh, I got in, got first there. And next thing you know, it's like, okay, man, we got to start practicing for competition and parades. Mm -hmm. Well, that was all fine. But then when the parade came around, you had to buy uniforms. Mm. And the uniforms were expensive. You had to pay for, like, the helmet. You had to pay for the gloves. You had to pay for the shirt, the pants, the shoes. Right. And my parents couldn't afford it. Oh. So I had to get out of the marching band. 
Oh, you had to bail because I the... yeah. But I would be in my backyard listening to them practice, and I would play with them every day. Wow. On on whatever I could get. I mean, I made, I made I made drum sets out of phone books. <laughs> you know, you don't see phone books anymore hardly today. But back then, we had the white pages and the yellow pages. Yeah, and they would right. come out every year, right? Uh huh. And I would keep them. Yeah. And I would set them up as a drum set on my bed. Wow. You know, and uh, just practice like that. Wow. I had a I had an imaginary mind to practice no matter what. Yeah. You know, and that that was the the one thing, man, that that still sticks with me. Mm-hmm. You know, like even here, I mean, this was creative to come up with, you know, yeah, you know, with my room and stuff. And even back then, when you met me for the first time, the room inside the garage, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and for those listening, we're in a studio Fred built from scratch, from the bottom up. Again, we're in LA at the moment, so it's a congested area, lots of people. So if you're going to be playing something like drums, you got to have some insulation. You got to have some uh, <laughs> some sound dampening, to say the least. Yeah, drums get pretty pretty big and loud. So, but so you dealt with some disappointment. I mean, you you and that's crazy. You sat there practicing as you listened to the band from yeah. your backyard, and then you did the whole thing with the phone books. And these days, if anyone's got a phone book, that's pretty much all they're good for. Is let's practice drums. Yeah, <laughs> no one's yeah. using them anymore. Right, right. But I remember those phone books. Yeah. Um. Okay, so. You kept going though, and then obviously you got that set we talked about. Yeah. And then what did you do from there? I remember you telling me that you started playing at the church. Yeah, I I, I would play bongos on on at church. Oh, okay. And, and then there was there was a guy that was really good. Yeah. But the the guy that was over the music, um, his name was Joe Mitchell. He was the pastor's son, mm-hmm. and he knew like a lot of people like Donnie Hathaway. Yeah, I even think he knew Marvin Gaye. Wow! And um, he knew like high level music, like what it was supposed to be. Uh-huh. And he played very very well. And he would always tell me if this guy messes up, he would give me a shot. And so this guy missed one Sunday, <laughs> and he asked me, "Was I ready?" He let me play the first Sunday. Well, actually, I had to go to rehearsal. Yeah. And I didn't know anything about music, like. I just knew beats, you know, and uh, he said to me, there was a, the way the church was set up, there was the pulpit, the drums, the piano, then over to the side of the piano was this little section called the motherboard section, Uh which was the elderly women of the church. Yeah. The whole church was carpeted except their area. It was like they had a wooden floor Uh and you could hear their heels clicking. (laughs) So he would say, if... I don't hear their heels clicking by beat four of the first measure. You're not grooving, <laughs> which I didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> I just remember being so intimidated going home telling my mom that if I didn't, if their heels didn't click by the fourth beat in yeah. the first measure, I was going to lose my gig. <laughs> so she, of course, she got got on the phone and called all her, all her friends up. Yeah, and they were clicking like crazy over there, man. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest was history. I ended up playing there for years, man. And wow. my my dad ended up getting a church of his own. He, you know, my dad was a minister. Wow. And I started playing in his church. 
uh-huh. and got and they broke in his church and stole my first drum set. Oh my goodness! So that same set we were just talking about. Yeah, all that all that work for us. Sorry to hear that. You know. Wow. And then he set me up. He worked for the post office. He set me up. Uh, I didn't know back then. That, you know, even as a kid, you can join a a, a credit union. Mm-hmm. And so he set me up at, with the credit union uh, and uh, started me with credit because I, I, you know, I was able to go pick out my first like real professional kit was a slingling kit. Yeah. And I, nice. I still have it to this day. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. But with that kit, everything changed, you know. Wow. Bigger, you know, the, everything started. And I love that you got in with the first church because somebody i don't know got sick or just for whatever reason wasn't there yeah and a door just opened yeah and you uh were probably you know desirous for this thing for a while maybe i don't know for sure i mean i think of my wife as a makeup artist that's mm-hmm. kind of happened with her a few mm-hmm. times is somebody flaked somebody didn't show up somebody wasn't available yeah let's call this girl and then in her case the, the, you know they like her they like her work she's professional then they continue working with her yeah and that happens a lot especially out here in la it's something like that where it's just Always. oh someone didn't show up whatever it is an actor or yeah whatever a, a drummer and uh it's your turn yeah exactly <laughs> and, and it's interesting how little shifts like that kind of direct your life yeah one little thing here and one little thing there and it, it makes the whole the whole picture happen right. so you continue this throughout your younger years, your teenage years. And so what were you thinking at that stage? Were you thinking, okay, I don't know if I can be a drummer forever, or were you just gung-ho in your mind, this is my thing, this is what I'm doing, this is my career, or maybe I should be an accountant? I mean, I don't know what you're thinking. I, you know, I mean, I I really just knew I wanted to play. Yeah. But, of course, my dad being a minister, uh, it was only back then I, I could only play at church. Uh-huh. But... He 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 allowed me to play like uh, you know jazz at home or whatever. I was trying to listen to different styles of music and things like that, but I couldn't play with with a band mm-hmm. because he would he would he would threaten to take my drums if I did. And I just believe my dad was you know crazy enough to do it if he caught me playing <laughs> somewhere. So I never played with a band in St. Louis as far as like jazz or you know funk anything like that. But uh, he let me do, you know, like, like I said, I practice at home. And the funny thing was like, I would practice the records in, in my bedroom and have the window up and people, mm-hmm. we had an empty lot next to my, <laughs> where I live uh-huh. and people would come out and be dancing. Oh and, yeah. And yeah. Which was <laughs> the worst for him being a preacher, you know, and it's like, <laughs> he would pull up and see all these people out here dancing on the lot and <laughs> I would hear the door slam and it's like boop blam I'm done no more playing <laughs> you know <laughs> so wow that was pretty funny man you were Girl. kind of a you were kind of like the movie Footloose like Denise Williams had a big yeah. song in Footloose yeah. and you grew up with your dad yeah. was running the church but yeah. he wasn't too into the bands and the dancing <laughs> just no, like the no, movie nah man so that was that was pretty funny <laughs> you know that's crazy I'm sure that helped a little to the distance dampens all the noise from the drums a little too but they're still hearing it coming closer to dance oh yeah they were right outside the window <laughs> they were there literally like i would open up my bedroom window and they would be right like right outside did that kind of give you a little bit of an ego boost a little confidence so people are coming by choice 
to groove out to dance to to my drumming you, you know what's funny back then in churches no one would really play drums you know i think i could say like the way i played because i was mimicking jazz artists oh yeah yeah and 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 you know gospel music per se never turned me on with the drumming yeah so i would figure out a way to like play the music and make it happen for me while i was playing it because that's the only music i could play yeah does that make sense yeah so 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 listening to another drummer at the time was kind of like ah they're not doing anything it's boring so i would i would be listening to different players man like you know um a friend of mine turned me on to jazz uh his name was Laval, and after that, man, that was it. I started listening to everybody, and then I stumbled across Harvey Mason. Mm. And once I heard Harvey, and then I started hearing like Ndugu Chancellor and Ricky Lawson, and you know uh, Alphonse Muzan, yeah, Jerry Brown, Mike Clark, you know, with Herbie Hancock and David Garibaldi. <laughs> I started listening, hearing all these drummers, man, and I would literally try to play like them at church <laughs> and and yeah. everybody would go what's what's going on with you man like where are you hearing this stuff at did, and, it, did it fit with the church music or was it kind of you yeah, were forcing it no i made it fit okay i made it fit to i was i was determined to be musical with it right you know and uh, i actually had a i had a big time big minister <laughs> He came to visit our church and he and he stopped him he stopped he says you know we we need to do something with our church here uh we got to stop these secular musicians from coming into our churches <laughs> and ruining our music yeah he said now this boy on the drums you could tell he plays in clubs every night <laughs> <laughs> which you weren't which i never played at a club at all Dad would have and, and my dad was sitting there getting mad and the the the, the, the pastor of the church you know, he stood up and kind of got the guy straight and told him, like, I practice every day at the church at the time. I yeah. practice every day and drove him and the secretary crazy. But he said, I'd rather him be doing that than doing something else. You yeah. know, so yeah. that's the, you know, the thing that I had about me, like, you know, playing um, different styles, man. Yeah. And, and that's what interested me, like, wanting to get better. Yeah. Because that stuff, some of the stuff was foreign to me, you know. Yeah. Well, and that's the incredible thing about music. There's so many genres. There's so many faucets of music. I mm -hmm. mean, and I and I know you as a guy who's very versatile. I mean, you could sit down with an Alex Acuna, which is a very well-known Latin percussionist. Oh, yeah. But he could groove with all kinds of stuff, too. Yeah, but yeah. that's what he's known for. Right. You could sit down with any of those guys. Jazz, funk, uh, rock country any of this stuff and the latin and the, you know all that stuff and, and so that's i respect that because i grew up with music and what i noticed is there there's a difference between and and the same is true with any kind of art mm. some people are in it for the right reason some people are in it for the like sometimes it's i'm in it for the girls or the drugs right, or the you know all right, the nonsense right, right. or i'm in it for the art i'm in it to develop as an artist i'm in it to inspire to touch lives to touch hearts to mm. get the people outside dancing outside the window kind of thing right right in your instance so uh, 
I respect that. I respect that a lot. And I think that says a lot. I mean, you've gone on several decades doing this now. We won't say how many, but <laughs> <laughs> more than a couple. And uh, as you advance and you become an adult, what was your decision process? How did you end up in L.A.? Uh, well, during the gospel scene in L.A., I mean, in St. Louis, I, I pretty much started playing, um, you know, for a group called the O'Neill Twins. Mm -hmm. They were very big in gospel, and uh, that was one of my goals. I, 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 I've always shot to play, try to be playing with someone I consider the best at what they do. I mean, that was always my goal, like whatever. And in St. Louis, the O'Neill Twins were the cream of the crop. Yeah. There was also a, a, a choir that backed up everybody that came through St. Louis that needed a, a choir to sing behind them was the Joseph Price Singers. So I played for the Joseph Price Singers uh -huh. and the O'Neill Twins. And playing with the O'Neill Twins, they took me all over the country, like uh, playing Cobo Arena, Cobo Hall in Detroit, wow. Joe Louis Arena. And I was just like, man, this is crazy. You know, I just got this bug for it. And how old were you in those days? Like 20, 21. Yeah. You know. Still pretty young. And I just got this book, man, that, dude, I want to do this. Yeah. I want to do this for real. And and the passion that I had, I knew it was another level to it. Yeah. You know, because other drummers had started coming out like Joel Smith that lived in Oakland with this group called the Hawkins Family. They were playing music that was like like way beyond you know like man that's what i want to be playing right there yeah you know and yeah. then andre crouch so uh playing for one of those uh this uh, choir that came through st louis there was a lady uh in one of the choirs when we got done playing she came over she says i'd like to speak to the drummer in the band and <laughs> I, and which was me yeah and um I said hello and she says I just want to compliment you you sound really good and I said oh thank you she says well I'm saying this because you remind me of my brother mm. and I was like oh thank you a lot I said who's your brother I said what does your brother do she says well he plays movies he does tons of records he does this he does that I said well if he does all of that I know who he is and she said Harvey Mason mm. and I freaked yeah yeah because then by then I knew I wanted more but I didn't know how to get there I just would always pray and think that I was going this this master drummer whoever it was I would get a chance to meet and they would tell me the path to take yeah and yeah I just freaked out and asked her would she please tell Harvey the next time she talks to him about me and she did yeah and the next thing you know, he's doing a clinic in St. Louis. Oh. And my friends was like, man, how do you know Harvey so well? I said, what are you talking about? He, he gets out of the van, wants to know who who's Fred Dinkins. <laughs> and then the guy that brought him to St. Louis was a friend of mine. He says, when I got there, he says, man, Harvey wants you in his dressing room. Wow. And so from there, we, we, we talked, you know, I talked to him here in L.A., freaking out man and he was kind of helping me out but he says look man you got to move to LA or New York yeah. if you, you if you really want to do this yeah and so I needed lessons 
and uh, he turned me on to Joe Picaro. Yeah. And that's how I ended up in L.A. coming to PIT. Yeah. And for those who don't know, PIT is a branch of Musicians Institute in Hollywood. Yeah. Yes. And you came out this. It's interesting to me because when I hear stories, I try to read into them a little bit. I, mm -hmm. I'm listening to you tell about your passion mm -hmm. with the music, the drums and developing yourself and the whole thing and then you you were drawn to these artists that really inspired you like harvey mason and yeah. others yeah and then all of a sudden he's in your world yeah yeah <laughs> and that must have been like you said it must have been somewhat overwhelming but also inspiring and also wow this this could be within my reach yeah and and i think that there's something to be said for that my purpose of this podcast by the way is to touch people to the to really understand their power as mm. humans because yeah. we all have it some people might look to a guy like Fred or Harvey Mason or any number of brilliant artists or whatever well they're they're unique they're special certainly they are mm. their mindset certainly is but it doesn't mean other people can't really get a vision start to now it's, you put in some work right to say the right. least right and you got some great experience along the way and then how, however you want to say it, you attracted some of these things into your world. Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, you I, did. I firmly believe, man, I mean, you know, me very being like, I don't, I don't want to say spiritual or whatever, but, but, but I definitely believe in uh, the almighty God and I believe in being able to understand how things come about sometimes. Yeah. Uh, and I kind of like, look, I'm looking back now, like, Everything that I was always wanting to do, I would always consistently talk about it. And next thing you know, it's starting to happen. So I was like, man, something's in that. Something's in positive thinking. Yeah. And and speaking what those thoughts are. Yeah. To bring them to life. I mean, be, before I moved to L.A., I, I'm, I've always been a big sports fan. Yeah. And I mean... Out of all things, one day I, I, I was watching ABC and I was watching a, a golf uh, championship. Mm -hmm. Out of all things, like, because <laughs> I, I don't really watch golf. Yeah. But they, they interviewed uh, this golfer. I don't even know if he's still alive, but I remember his name, Chichi Rodriguez. Yeah. And he had won a lot of tournaments. And they was like, what motivates you? What keeps you going? And when I watch sports, that's why I watch sports. So I can stay motivated because I'm looking at champions. Yeah, that's interesting. So whenever I look at it, I always I watch boxing. I, 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 whatever. I want to see the champion. I want to see the champion's heart. Okay. You know? Yeah. Uh, and that's why I fell in love, like, even with the Lakers, to, to hear Magic Johnson and Kareem <laughs> talk. These guys were champions. And they would always say things like, you can never give up. You got to keep trying. You got to do this. You got to do that. And in St. Louis, I just took that on because it was like, what am I going to do with my life? What, who am I going to be? Yeah. If I want to be anything, it doesn't matter what it is. I have to be positive and push to be the best that I could be. Yeah. Every day. And Chi Chi Rodriguez said, it's three things. You got to have desire, determination. But the hardest thing in life, which I always talk about, and I'm actually writing a book called The Practice Room, and that's what I put in there, these three words. 
the hardest thing is discipline. Yeah. Because you could desire whatever you want, but if you don't have the discipline to sit there and nurture it and push through the hard times when like you don't feel like practicing, mm-hmm. you know, you want to rest, you know, like today, I mean, I got in last night at one o'clock okay. from a session. But the first thing I said to you, yeah, once this is done, I'm practicing today. Yeah. Because I got I got work coming up three weeks or four weeks away that I'm already preparing for. Right. Going internationally. And- yeah. I don't want to wait two days before and say, oh, I need to work on this. I've learned my lesson by doing that. You know, being young and dumb, I call it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, know. you keep up with your homework. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that's these are all interesting faucets of all this and I love and I love that you see that too because I think that that's kind of overlooked by a lot of people uh, a lot of time and, and that we live in a world that's a tough place I mean you got to fight against this current a lot of times where there's thing I talked in another podcast about how if you don't take care of your garden weeds are going to grow I mean you exactly. got to take care of everything and so exactly. you, you keep practicing you wait till the last minute you got a lot more weeds to pull, so to speak, and you're mm-hmm. practicing and your skills to be ready for that. So now, so what you did then after after these doors came into your life, these doors opened for you, mm. you came out west by yourself, I assume. Yeah, first. And how old were you at that time? Uh, I was 25. I just turned 25. I, moved, I came to L.A. on my birthday. Oh, happy birthday to the trip to L.A. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a good uh, birthday present. L.A., boy, a little different than St. Louis. What was that like, to kind of the change? Like future shock. <laughs> <laughs> and literally like future shock. Uh-huh. You know, and uh, the thing about it, though, like I said, when I was in school, man, I, uh, I was determined, again, to be, you know, the best that I could be. So I, I literally lived in that school. I had a cousin that I lived with, but she never saw me. Yeah, because I was always at that school. Yeah, and I and I watched some of your videos recently where you talked, and I and I remember you saying these things that if you're gonna pursue music or anything, but you're mm-hmm. talking about music, you got to be ready to eat, sleep, breathe this stuff, not just yeah. hey, here yeah. I am. Because the people who don't are the ones who are in these other reasons. Yeah, I'm here for the girls, the attention, the drugs, right, all right. the other nonsense. Right. And so, and and I think that's true. Of a lot of things. Yeah. If you want to be the best accountant. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You got to be on top of your yeah. game. Yeah. Eat, sleep, and breathe that. Doesn't mean you don't have time with your family. But you were a young kid. You didn't necessarily have kids and all that at that point. So you were able to do no, that. No, I actually did have a son. Oh, did you? Yeah, okay. Yeah. My son was born at that time. Oh, okay. But that gave me more motivation. Incentive yeah. And motivation to, to, to do what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. I knew, I knew that. When I graduated from MI, I was not ready to do what I thought I wanted to do. Yeah. And I knew it was going to take time, uh, a long time, for me to get there, you know. And uh, it just, you know, I had to persevere. Okay. Because there, there was a lot of uh, a lot of bad things happened even, you know, while I was here. A lot, mm-hmm. of, lot, of, lot of negative things and uh, I still tell people to this day, when people talk about, uh, you know, their past or whatever, that you have to be truthful because if something was in your life, like you, you have to fight that off. 
you know, and I still fight negativity off because I, you know, I had people, of course, in St. Louis didn't want me to play, mm-hmm. you know, and and they laughed at me and, are oh, you going to L.A.? You think you all that you're you're not gonna make it? You'll be back here in three months. You'll be back here in six months. <laughs> you know, you're not that good. And and I laugh only because. I can relate in various ways in my life. My wife and her, you yeah, know, she yeah. had some of those same naysayers too. Yeah. Like, who do you think you are going to LA? Right. And losing all these friends. And in these days, in social media, okay, well, the friends stop being social media friends. Little right. things. Right, right. Plus, girls do kind of more passive aggressive stuff. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but you have people now, you're going to be back. You're not all that. You can't go to LA. Yeah. And why do you, why do you think they did that? Why do you think people in general do that? Because they have insecurities themselves. Uh huh. It's like they they don't want to see. If you do better than they do, then of course that makes them feel inferior. Because now you're on top of them. But it and that was never. And the funny thing about that is that was never your intention. No, that was never my wife's intention or anybody my, else. My my whole thing again to this day. I tell students, I challenge students, I challenge people that listen, that's listening to this podcast. In the morning you get up, you say thank you for another day. Mm-hmm. The first thing you normally do, most people, is go look in the mirror in the morning. When you look in the mirror in the morning, you look at yourself and you challenge yourself to be or make a difference that day in your own life first. Yeah. Then at night, you do roll call. <laughs> you go and look in the mirror and then you ask yourself, what did I do for myself today positive? Yeah. Did I make any headway into my goals, my dreams, or did they everything is just still sitting there stagnant? Yeah. Yeah. And be ready to not sleep <laughs> if the answer is you didn't do anything because mm-hmm. it haunts you after a while. You know? I think that's a great set of rituals though because as we know, the world keeps spinning, so new days are coming and going. Yeah. And and I've talked a little bit about this before, where I think all this stuff in the universe show the cycles of the moon and everything just show us that there's hope. The seasons. Yeah. You know, yeah. after winter comes spring, summer, yeah. fall. This yeah. this whole cycle, and through all that, you might have messed up. You might have had a bad day. Maybe you weren't your best in a number of ways. You didn't help people the way you should have. You didn't uh, rise to the occasion, be positive. All these things that you could have done. But there's there's tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, and and eventually our tomorrows will run out. That's but true. I think that's that's another humongous incentive in the back of our mind to say I gotta take I can't count on tomorrow. Right. But there's there's enough tomorrows for most of us. But you have to deal with today. You got it today. today. Exactly. Today is the thing, man. And I'm, I mean, I can sit here and tell you like, if my wife was here, she would tell you, yeah. He's crazy because if if just like I, my daughter today, we we I had to make changes. Mm-hmm. I don't like changes mm-hmm. because I have set agendas that nobody knows that I set for myself. Mm. And when you mess with my agendas, <laughs> I don't like it at all. Okay, because that you know it's like no this. I know that it, I have family, I have people, like whatever. But you you can't just just alter my day, uh huh. Without letting me know that you need to alter my day. 
it's it's like it's for you it's become kind of like a sacred set of rituals these it, are the things that you do with your day yeah keep yourself centered keep yourself balanced exactly and it, and of course there's time for family this you try it's like most of us to balance it all out yeah yeah but you don't necessarily want surprises no no <laughs> i don't i don't like the surprises yeah you know but i've learned to handle them a lot <laughs> A little better than a used whole, to. A whole lot better than what I used to. That, that might have come from having kids. It's oh, full yeah. of surprises. Spilling, yeah, yeah. spilling the milk. Exactly. Screaming breaking, at each other. Breaking something, you know. <laughs> I can remember, like, if I had a flat tire, I would just lose it. I would lose my mind. Wow. Because I had a flat tire, you know, because it stopped. It's, it changed my day. It altered my day. Yeah. Do you, do you think maybe, I speak for me. A lot of times in my life, I've been a perfectionist. So it's like, okay, I'm leaving the house. I expect perfection. I expect no traffic. I expect uh, great weather. I expect uh, no, you know, delays or wow, wow. inconvenience, especially no flat tires for crying out loud. Wow. And then, you know, God forbid these things come in our path and then you lose your mind. I've, yeah. I've been well, there. Well, in L.A., <laughs> you just learn. Like, yeah. <laughs> LA is a humbling place. Yeah, especially with traffic. <laughs> but but the thing about me, you know, you know, uh, uh, Phil is that I, I tell people this too. I I have, you know, God is the only perfect person to me. Uh huh. I've taken that word perfectionist. Even though people work with me, they say you you a perfectionist, man. You 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 know when when I work with bands or whatever, they, it's like it's got to be exactly like he wanted. Otherwise, he's not going to accept it. Yeah. So, but I say that I am a ambassador to excellence. Okay. That's a good way to put it. And be, there's nothing, let's not get it wrong here. There's nothing wrong with being a perfectionist if you have, this is my take at least, if you have the right mentality about it, that you expect the unexpected sometimes yeah you expect yeah. maybe in your case playing the drum maybe once in a while a stick's gonna break even though you didn't expect it so you're gonna have to redo that yeah yeah or yeah. if you're playing live yeah. have an extra stick to grab real quick mm -hmm. <laughs> which happens a lot and just like driving the car you got the flat that you got a spare yeah hopefully yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah and there's something about that because you could lose your mind pull your hair out and cuss and scream in traffic when you lose the flat tire or mm. behind the kid you're playing mm. a show that would be embarrassing in mm. the end or you could just thankfully I had this extra stick thankfully I had this this spare tire and thank thankfully I have this another day of life and another meal yeah, and yeah you learn how to counter it yeah exactly that's yeah. what I'm talking about the balance yeah, the balance you counter the negativity please move on to the next episode episode 9 for part 2 of our interview with the one and only Fred Deacons Thanks so much for listening to Empower Humans. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review this podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit EmpowerHumans.com. We'll catch you next time.